Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I am Abraham Okasanya and it's great to have you all here on the podcast today. I am really excited about my guest today. I have known Ruth Stokey for the best part of a decade and Ruth is, you know, one of those formidable people in financial planning. Uh, she's a non-executive director at Paradigm Norton and the vice chair of the Institute of Financial Wellbeing. Uh, Ruth, welcome to Retirementals. Hey, thanks, Abraham. Formidable. I'm never quite sure what that means, but, uh, you know, hey, you've said it. It's out there. I'll go with it. <laughs> oh, formidable, dynamic, glamorous. Should I go on and on? <laughs> Oh, yeah, keep, keep, keep on with the compliments. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> no, but I, I really, truly mean that. I met you, uh, must be the best part of 10 years ago, um, you know, at the, at the, what was then the Institute of Financial Planning. Uh, you were running Red, Red House Consulting, a firm that, that you co-founded. Take us back um, to what your journey in, in, in financial planning um, has been till date. Wow, uh, straight in there. So my journey in financial planning, well, um, it, it's been, uh, I, I think it's probably fair to say before I found financial services, I'd done a number of other jobs in my twenties and uh, they were all formative, I think, as, as most of life experiences are. And, you know, I think to be a really uh, good financial planner, it is very important that you've spent time training to be a nurse, um, selling drugs legally, and uh, <laughs> also selling cars, Abraham. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Um, <laughs> so I'd done a few things uh, before um, finding myself in the late 80s, early 90s, when you know, actually inflation was probably quite similar to what it's like now, which we thought was a historical event. Um, getting into the murky end of what what was then, I don't mean it to now, but then um, remortgages and endowment sales and um, kind of very quickly found out or realized that there was something quite wrong about that business model. Um, and I kind of moved through those learnings and uh, worked for a large insurance company in their direct sales for a while. Um, and then gradually found myself into the IFA world, um, using the term deliberately, as that's what it was then, and, and, and got my first advisory role as an IFA, which was really, really scary. But like most um, people and women in particular, I think when you're lacking in confidence, and you don't know that you're any good. I just started to take exams. So I took exams, 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 becoming chartered, I, I think, in the early noughties, um, b before kind of most people were really bothering to get us qualified as, you know, I think we're now seen as the, as the, as the table stakes these days. Um, and then from there, I um, 
found myself working for a national IFA, caught in middle management. Uh, it was an amalgamation of five IFAs that were owned by an insurance company that had been smashed together. There was no cultural fit. There was lots of product sales. There were lots of people earning shed loads of money doing, uh, you know, churning group personal pension plans and things like that. And I kind of like thought, this isn't what I trained to become. This isn't what I'm qualified to do. Mm. There must be a better way of doing it. And I think for me, it it's when you start to become, I, I describe it that moany employee, um, you know, so I'm being an absolute pony in the ass to my bosses and things because I'm moaning about stuff. And I don't like being that person, you know, and so you get to the point where you get fed up with the sound of your own voice and you kind of think to yourself, well, you know what, either do something about it or, or, or shut up, you know, that cut up or shut up. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it became this ball that started to roll, this kind of snowball, um, which culminated in myself and Gareth Miles setting up the Red House in 2007, which was, I think, when I really began to understand money and people properly. So that's that's an incredible story, and I, I don't actually see you. I can't imagine you, uh, you know, moaning and complaining about about, about your job. Um, but you you founded the the Red House, uh, you know, with with Gareth, and and you grew that firm. I, I don't know over the subsequent decade, fifteen years, to to one of the leading financial planning firms um, in the UK. Talk to talk to me a little bit about that journey, that experience of actually, you know, founding a firm and and being in control of your own destiny, as it were. Yeah, well, it's you know, thank thank you for your kind words about the Red House. I think we were kind of small but perfectly formed, and and I think what we did, we did very well. but I think it's really important. It's certainly important for me to say, you know, I, I uh, had this ep- appetite to set up my own business. And I was kind of in my early mid 40s by that point. And it wasn't something I thought I would ever do. It, you know, it was right. my my education and upbringing um, hadn't hadn't, you know, made me feel I was a natural business owner um, or, or, or a leader of people. It, it was more when I realized or I noticed that the people around me who were running, you know, very large firms didn't seem to know that much more than me, which sounds, you know, really bloody conceited. And I don't mean it like that. But what I mean is you kind of realize that nobody really knows what they're doing until they give it a go. And Mm. um, and I think for me, that was where I got to. I was very fortunate going into um, business with Gareth, in as much as he'd had experience of running businesses in the past and had um, a good reputation within um, financial services. Um, and, you know, Gareth was really good, I think, at pulling together the structure and the governance for the Red House. Um, and he was also a bloody good salesperson um, with a very strong value set. Um, Linda, who was our third business partner, who uh, joined Gareth and I very early on, Linda's skill was in running a mean back office. Like, you know, she mm. knew how to um, make 
essentially what Gareth and I were doing, the kind of client relationships, the, the sales, and I say that word deliberately because no business works without sales of some description. Mm. She really enabled us to pull the advice process together. And I think my skill set out of the three of us was that I was actually, actually, I think, bloody good technically back, back in the day. Some of my colleagues at Paradigm Norton will probably laugh when they hear that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but um, and I had a real vision of what I felt good client relationships were like, and I managed to be able to balance the kind of technical aspects of the jobs with the relational aspects of the job. And, you know, between the three of us, um, you know, we had a, a really strong um, skill set and we were able to build a business. You know, you know, how fortunate is it on day one? You know, this sounds like a cliche, but it was true. We had a blank sheet of paper. And we could pretty much design the business that we wanted. We had a bit of a luxury of not having any guarantees about where our clients might come from. But Gareth and I had had successful client relationships in the past. And we knew that, again, as we're seeing history repeating itself um, in the the wider financial services um, community at the moment, large consolidators taking over client banks and clients feeling like they've lost something that they had when they were actually part of a, of a smaller firm, um, or mm. that, that individualism feels like it's being lost somewhat. And so we were very lucky that we were able to get cash flow going reasonably quickly. Um, and then we were able to just build a business that I think really, we were lucky, I think we were at that start of we certainly weren't the first to it, but we were early adopters of things like um, cash flow planning, evidence-based investing, which I know is dear to your heart, and platforms. Um, and so we had some super new tools. We had a com- completely fee-based offering to our clients. And um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun setting that business up and, and growing it and seeing others grow and flourish within the red house structure that we that we created that's good so so talk to me about where you grew the firm um to give us some metrics i like metrics i know you're you're a modest lady but i like to understand you know what was it in terms of aum uh, whatever metrics you're you're comfortable to 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 share so we um we grew the business to, it's a really interesting one because um, we grew the business to uh, seven, only seven people. Um, when we merged with Paradigm Norton, um, we were at five people because as you might appreciate, it's really bloody hard to recruit when you know there's this thing going on in the background and you can't be open and honest with people. Um, but we were we had a um, we had assets under management. Goodness me, what would they have been? Uh, about um, 120 million. Um, I guess our turnover was about 1.2 million. We looked after about 70 family groups, so we had a really lovely, um, almost perfect client base where we, we we determined from day one the people that we felt we could offer value to and we were fortunate that we could stick to our knitting on that so we had um, a really nice bunch of clients we had a great uh, team and uh, yeah the business we were probably running at 
probably 20 to 25% true profitability. And I say that only in as much as there's always that um, game, isn't there, in our world, Abraham, when you, you ask a business owner, like, what's your profit? What's your profit? And then they forget that they haven't paid themselves, you know, <laughs> the salary that you would pay somebody if they were running the business for them and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that was after um, we'd all been paid. And, and so it was a really nice business. Um, we were, when we started to think about our merger, or rather what we were going to do with the business, we were, we set up in 2007, and it was about 10 years later when uh, Gareth had unfortunately had to retire uh, very quickly due to ill health in about 2013. And Linda and I um, uh, basically bought Gareth out and took the business forward. But we got to a point where we thought we, any business as we know needs to keep moving forward. And um, we knew that we needed to grow the business and we'd have some days where we felt incredibly energized around growing the business and we knew we had a great business uh, and that we had something important that we could grow and then other days to be quite honest Abraham and as a business person you may understand this you just feel overwhelmed and a bit knackered and um, Linda and I were no spring chickens um, we weren't we weren't super old but we weren't super young and so we decided that the right thing for us was to think about um, what our succession or exit plans could look like. So you've got a bit of metrics in there, Abraham. That, thank you. And, and you, you went way beyond my expectation. Th thank you for that. And, and, I, and I talk about these things or I, I ask about these things, A, because I just want to learn what the best people, the best firms are doing out there. But also, I think it's really important for other financial planners to to understand what this journey look like and i mm. and i kind of i see you as a role model for 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 well, personally but also for a lot of business owners because you've been there done it got the t-shirt uh so i'm gonna pry more and 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 please uh, tell, tell me <laughs> to go away um so so I, i'm assuming that you and linda own the business after you'd bought Gareth out. I'm interested in how you structured the deal to 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 buy him out. You know, a because mm. I'm assuming that you didn't have I don't know whatever <laughs> you know hundreds of thousands uh, at the back of your sofa like I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, talk to really me about how you st structured the the exit deal, and then I'm going to ask you. Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay, let let me let me talk around that. Um, so because it was a it was a really so I, I alluded to the fact that Gareth needed to retire due to ill health, and we'd gone from having like a three year exit plan for Gareth. He he was um, thirteen years older than than Linda and I, so it was always Linda and I were always part of his succession plan in many respects. Um, so we'd started off with a three-year exit plan that we kind of got to 18 months. And then Gareth had a diagnosis that meant he was out within three weeks. And yeah. so it was, it was very sudden. Emotions were very high. And we, um, probably led by me, had to go into negotiations with Gareth around what would be a fair exit. And that's not easy. And that's not easy when you're, uh, I think one of the 
challenges I've always found in my business was my, my Gareth and I had a, 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 a brilliant relationship and a difficult relationship, like, you know, like most relationships are in as much as we were great friends and colleagues and helped to each other, but we we're also in business with each other. And he was also a man who was 13 years older than me that had run big businesses in the past. And I was a woman who'd never been in business before, don't, don't like to talk about money, don't like to feel like I'm speaking out of place, going into the biggest negotiation of my life with somebody who's mm. also in ill health. That's not easy. And so we, I dug very deep. I had some coaching at the time um, to try to enable us to reach what would be a fair exit for, for, for Gareth, but also an achievable position for Linda and I to be able to afford to buy him out and take the business forward. And um, so we had um, a series of conversations um, and uh, the, 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 the day that I'm picturing in my head is Linda Gareth and I sitting around a table with our accountant and we're trying to agree on a price. And it was that classic bartering situation whereby Gareth came out with a ridiculous figure, high, I came out with a ridiculous figure low because I had to try to then maneuver to what was going to be fair for us both. And thank goodness we, 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 we got to that figure. We hugged and um, what that, how that actually played out was Linda and I um, both raised some money against our homes to give him an initial payment. And then we agreed we would pay him out over the next three years. And we were very proud to be able to pay him out after two years, just because we were, we were able to, you know, um, you know, tighten our belts, um, which I think is, is what business owners have to do when you, you've got, you've got a debt and, you know, and also I think it, you know, as it turned out, Gareth lifespan, uh, was only three or so years beyond leaving us. So it was nice that we were able to kind of finish. Uh, our financial commitments to him and remain friends. Um, he sat as, uh, remained on our board until we'd, we'd paid him out um, quite understandably. Um, but it, it, after we'd gone through the difficult bit, it was all very amicable. Um, That's so, yeah. incredible. I, I, thank you for that, Ruth. Uh, you know, there, there's just loads of, you know, nuggets there for me uh, personally, uh, as someone trying to, to build a business. Um, and, it's 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 incredible. Thank you for that. So then you had another what I would refer to as exit um, yes. with uh, you know with with some sort of merger into into um, you know paradigm nothing. Talk to me about that. I kind of look at paradigm nothing as you know again another outstanding financial planning business bigger than yours. And you guys sort of, um, you know, merge, merge into that business. Talk to me about, you know, again, what exit was. Uh, I'm assuming Linda's no longer part of part. I'm not saying she might be. I don't know. I haven't seen her. But you, you, you really did get, um, you know, your own in court exit, uh, you know, from yeah. in, in that way. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Um... It, it, the, it, it's really interesting because if you, if you think about the red house, kind of somewhere of five to seven people turn over 1.2 million, you've got Paradigm Norton, 
which I think at that time was about 46, 50 people. I don't know what the turnover was, six, seven million, something like that. It could easily have been a story of David and Goliath, I think, um, mm. with us being, I always have to think about this, David, I think, the, the, the little one who is kind of like, take, you know, taken over. But it, but it genuinely wasn't like that. It was, it, it was a merger um, in as much as we may have been the smaller party, but um, what I think we brought to Paradigm Norton was um, something a little bit different. Um, I think it gave Paradigm Norton a great platform into London. They already had lots of London-based clients, but it was yeah. an opportunity for them to really expand out of the Southwest and their main Bristol hub into, into London. And we'd got um, in... Um, in London, uh, a, a really small but great team of, you know, top performers who really were keen to see the business continue to to, to grow and thrive, and a great client bank. Um, we there were some kind of, um, you know, things. There were some differences between us and Paradigm Norton um, around, as you would expect, process and procedures and. Um, What's the, right, what's the right word? Um, kind of, I think we probably had a more relaxed um, environment in those days than Paradigm Norton did in those days. And I'm saying that very deliberately because Paradigm Norton have changed quite considerably over the last four, four and a half years. Um, but the one thing we did have that saw us through the difficult times was a real values match, which sounds such a cliche, doesn't it? You always hear that in the press releases that we've got the same values, but we, we had the same values set and we importantly uh, trusted each other and like any negotiations um, and uh, and due diligence process when you're going through the um, merger of businesses there are lots of hairy times uh, lots of times when you're wrangling over ludicrous detail in solicitors documents and which is all part of the game <laughs> almost um, because if you worried about all of the things that you suddenly find are ahead of you, you would never gone into business in the first place, you know, but, but that all comes out. Um, and we had a kind of hiccup right at the very end that really, uh, I won't go into the detail of, and, um, uh, Linda and I, and the director of Paradigm Norton, we kind of smile and laugh about it now, um, where we all had to take a really deep breath and go, do we want this to happen or don't we? And we did. And mm. so we made it happen. And, um, you know, and, and, and here we are. Um, Linda, so I remain now, so we, we completed our merger in December 2017. Um, and uh, I'm now a non-exec. Uh, director at Paradigm Norton, which um, I've been doing for the last 18 months, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. And Linda, um, her contract was only for a year with Paradigm Norton. And she ended up staying for four years because she's so, so bloody good at what she did and really helped Paradigm Norton with their bringing together their processes and operations of having, you know, differing offices. Um, and so, yeah, Linda only stepped back um, in, in March this year. So, um, you know, we've, we've both um, had a good dosing and enjoyment with, with Paradigm Norton, and it's amazing to see the business growing as it is these days. It's an incredible business, you know, employed, employed, employees owned, um, you know, outstanding financial planning 
uh, evidence-based business. So talk, talk high level. What is it like these days being a non-exec, uh, you know, <laughs> well, what do you do? What exactly? What do I do? It's such, such a, such a good question. You know, it is, um, a really, it's a really enjoyable position to be in because I get to see the business that I care about continue to grow and develop. Um, as you say, employee-owned B Corp. Uh, I I see us looking ahead and thinking about what our next tenure vision and strategy needs to look like. But all I have to do, Abram, is is rock up to a board meeting uh, once a quarter. <laughs> And um, sit and chat for, you know, a day and a half, uh, you know, so I'm probably being slightly glib there. Um, but it's it's really lovely to have that continued connection. I don't have to do the really hard work. And, and you know, I say that, you know, with, with a sense of relief, but equally, um, it's entirely appropriate that, that that hard work and detail is now being carried on by Barry Horner and uh, William Pratt, who were the founders of um, Paradigm Norton, but also by our up and coming, you know, um, new, new leaders of the business as they kind of craft a business that's fit for purpose as we kind of move towards 2030. So, um, you know, we, we've got some thorny um, matters that we're looking at at the moment, you know, thinking what our future growth strategy is, what succession looks like, what the shape of the uh, governance of a business that's approaching 100 now with ambitions to continue to grow uh, what that needs to look like so there's lots of things for us to you know get our get our teeth into you know and so yeah it's it's a lot of fun so ruth you know paradigm norton is a, is a very special firm in my eye uh, be, because um you know a lot of you guys are evidence-based um you know one of the larger firms out there in, in that space of evidence-based financial planning firms. And I know you've done, uh, you know, some, some acquisitions recently um, of, of that type of, of, of firms. So I guess the question is, uh, you know, is this, is this part of the bigger plan go, going forward, you know, essentially integrating smaller evidence-based financial planning business into, into a firm like yours? I, I think there are a number of different ways that Paradigm Norton are, are likely to continue to, to grow. Um, without a doubt, um, Barry gets calls all the time from great firms who are planning what their succession might look like. And um, so Barry, at any given time is having initial conversations and, and 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 sometimes it's quite a long dating process and sometimes it's immediately obvious that there's there's not a fit but without a doubt Barry um, is always open to talk to good firms um, to see whether there are any synergies to be explored so whether that's firms whether that's book buys um, recently we as, as you alluded to we've purchased uh, a, a couple of um, businesses that we're currently integrating. And we've also had a couple of uh, book buys. What I mean by book buys is um, uh, senior advisors who are elsewhere, uh, who may or may not have been uh, part of a consolidation story that are basically looking to find a home which aligns with 
their own values and, and those of their clients. And it's an incredibly active market, isn't it, at the present moment? We, you know, we see it, you know, the, there's a lot of private equity money going on. I, I, I think the there's some silly money also being spoken about, I think, within the M&A world, within financial services, within, you know, financial planning. Um, and I think that it, it's down for any business who is making their choices about what they want to do next, about the decisions they make around what the money might look like. Um, you know, I think with Paradigm Norton, we are an incredibly well-run financially business that um, is, is always going to make sure, particularly as we're an employee-owned business, that the security of the business comes first. And it's, you know, it's kind of weighing up what, what, what are the right firms that would, would actually fit into that environment. But I think we have got an awful lot to offer. Um, it may not be top dollar, but I think sometimes, you know, there is more to a, a kind of sale than, than just chasing the highest figure. But of course, that's not that's for other people to determine. That's not for me to tell people. But I think when I look around me uh, uh, at the experience I see of others um, um, post sales and, um, you know, I, I think it's really important to be really honest with yourself about who you're who, who you're getting into bed with to use a horrible phrase. Fascinating stuff. So let's talk about your role at the uh, initiative, it was called, but now Institute of Financial Wellbeing, vice chair, all that stuff. What's going on there? So, so um, this, by the time we go live, Abraham, I think this news will be out there that I'm now the, the chair of the Institute for Financial Wellbeing. And well done for noticing. Congratulations. Me. Recently, I know it's it's really exciting news and, you know, absolute testament to the hard work of uh, Chris Budd, our founder, Nick Marsh, the CEO, and the rest of the board uh, who are have all worked their socks off to, to get us to this stage. Um, yes, I um, recently, um, uh, well, I'm about to become, as we're recording, recently, if you're listening, become chair of the Institute for Financial Wellbeing. Um, in as much as it, it's, uh, it, it, Chris is writing uh, an another book and it's time for Chris as the founder to kind of focus on other things rather than actually um, continuing to grow the Institute. So for me, um, I'm, 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 I've got a real drive and passion to, to continue to bring change to this incredibly worthy profession that we work in. And and when I say incredibly worthy, I kind of like there's a little bit of me that cringes as I say, you know, because we're not saving people's lives, are we? You know, we're not we're not on the front line. We're not we're not emergency workers. Um, but the more I reflect on the ability to influence that we as financial planners and financial coaches have, it's absolutely enormous. Um, so for me, the the Institute of Financial Wellbeing, its purpose is really to help people develop the knowledge and skills to kind of enable people to see that money isn't just to be accumulated. Money is here to use to enhance people's happiness and contentedness and overall sense of, of well-being. Well-being itself is made up of 
five different factors and there's research from Gallup uh, on this subject, which, which I found fascinating. And it's probably instinctive for most of us, but to have overall well-being, you, you need to have physical health. We, we know physical well-being. You need to have a career slash purpose uh, that helps with people's well-being. It's about social well-being and the quality of your relationships, whether that's with friends or family. It's community well-being. It's how you fit within your community and um, the, the people that you can turn to. And of course, there's also financial well-being, and you really need all of those five things to come together. You know, the example being, we all know people who earn shed loads of money, but have rubbish mm. relationships mm. with their family, or they never see their friends, um, that are really unhealthy, and uh, they they know nothing about a community outside of the work that they're that they're doing. So we know it's not just about money, and um, I really feel that we within financial planning financial services have an opportunity to start to change some of the narrative around money uh, i'm the way i it simplistically is for me abraham is you know we're a young profession still financial services financial advice financial planning yeah. back in the day we just sold products that's where i started my career at the turn of the of the century it was about all about products being sold and I mentioned when we set up the Red House, we had access to cash flow planning, evidence-based investment platforms. That, for me, that was the second evolution from product sales to planning. I think we're now moving into a third evolution, uh, which I'm calling financial planning 3.0. Somebody did point out to me that an American has written a book called that, so I might need to rethink yeah. that, but hey, let's go with it. Um, and for me, it is the evolution of, of versions one or two with the addition of behavioral science and behavioral economics. We, we, we didn't have that knowledge in the past, but also the application of deeper coaching skills, listening and questioning skills to, I think, really nudge people out of what they think they should, should be their goals and aspirations to actually just really stop and think about, am I actually leading the life that I want to? So I'm, I'm really excited about the, this, this third evolution of financial planning. And I think the Institute of Financial Wellbeing is very much contributing to the conversations around this. We want it to be a meeting place where, you know, Abraham, you and I both know the great financial planning firms around London, the Southwest and across the country. I would love to get all of those uh, planners deeply involved in this conversation because I believe they're all already running good businesses, but I think they can do it better. I know I could have done it better when I reflect on it. And I think it's, it's the time, I think the zeitgeist of the time is right for us to actually just try to change the way that people think about money. And, you know, we can all have an influence and it's that ripple effect that really excites me that we can all get involved in. So that's what we're your, up to. Incredible. Your, your passion uh, for, for this really, truly comes out, uh, you know, as, as you're talking about it. So for those financial planners listening to this, how, how can they get involved? So I would um, encourage you to go to our website in the first instance. It's the uh, IFW, the Institute for Financial Wellbeing. Um, you can, we, we run 
um, about three events a month. I was on one this morning, um, which was the forum, which was people just sharing how they break down to barriers to having deeper client conversations. So we run three um, different type of uh, sessions each month. Um, we have the annual conference. Um, what we ask, we're a not-for-profit. Um, we really want to grow the membership. The membership is something like, I'm going to say £12 a month, something like that. Um, it's not expensive. We'd love you to come along. There's stacks of information, stacks of things for you to get involved in. Um, we also run the uh, Certificate for Financial Wellbeing, um, which is a coaching-led course to help develop some of the skills. But yeah, come and have a look. You can come along to um, an initial session free of charge and just get a taste for what we're up to. But uh, I, I think it's, um, I think people will be surprised at the depth of knowledge that already exists within the institute. And we want to hear from other people. We, you know, we we're not saying we've got the monopoly on 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 financial well-being. We want to be the place where people gather. You mentioned at the start of our conversation, um, Abraham, us meeting at what was the Institute for Financial Planning. That was a great meeting of people who shared ideas and shared different um, experiences. That's what we want the Institute for fin Financial Wellbeing to be. And so, yeah, we'd love to invite everybody to come and join us, come and take a look, see what we're up to. Good stuff. Uh, Ruth, I want to be respectful, uh, respectful of your time, but also of, of my producer, Jake Hosha. He's going to start screaming if I don't wrap this up. I, I am really, really, truly enjoying the conversation. So thank you very much for being so honest, so forthright uh, with, with your experience and, and, and your wisdom. So I know you host the podcast, uh, you know, Money es Espresso. Talk a little bit about that and where we can find you and indeed anything else that you want to talk about. Oh, thanks, Abraham. Well, um, yeah, Money Expresso has uh, been a really fun podcast that um, I've been running on behalf of uh, Paradigm Norton. We've run for 18 months. And um, what I really wanted to do was to have conversations with people about their money and life experiences and so i've had conversations with truly fascinating people who've shared their journey and the intersection with money along the way um again by the time this uh podcast comes out i will have done my final podcast uh, for money expresso um no. and i'm passing the baton on to uh colleagues of mine at paradigm norton to take that forward and the reason for that was me it was almost like it, it it just felt like I've I've loved doing it. Um I really enjoy the whole podcast medium. I love having conversations with people. Um and so it, I may well podcast again, um, but I don't have any plans as we're as we're speaking, but it is it is a, a really fun medium. Um and yeah, so I'm kind of enjoying the non-exec work uh with PN. Um the, the, the time um, I'm spending with the Institute of Financial Wellbeing and Learning. And I, I no doubt will be speaking um, far and wide on that subject uh, somewhat more as we go over the next few months. Um, and I'm kind of also just working out what, if anything else, I'd like to 
slot into my into my days, Abraham. It's still relatively early days for me kind of getting used to this kind of more flexible way of working. So uh, let's let's see. No, that's incredible. And of course, you're you're an investor in Timeline. I hope you don't mind me sharing uh, that. Yes. You, you you were very kind enough to to back us. So th thank you very much. Um, you're more than welcome to to actually say why why you did if you want to and and yeah. whether you do other kind of early stage investing um or or or, or not uh, no, no, i'm no. interested i'm happy to talk no, let, let's talk about timeline first so then firstly thank you for giving me the opportunity and um i'm i i'm really excited about what you're doing, Abraham, for a few reasons. I already mentioned that I'm a, an evidence-based investor myself. Um, I firmly believe in that. Uh, what you are offering was something that I wish was available in 2007 when we were setting up the Red House. Um, I think it is a phenomenal service that you're offering to businesses of all sizes to enable them to just sort out the investment piece. Know that bit is being looked after to enable businesses to get on and do, I think, the higher value um, attributes of what, what's required for running a, a, a good financial planning business. I love your use of tech. I love that you're disrupting what's been a very cozy, stodgy investment world to date. It absolutely needs to be. And all the claptrap that's spoken around investment totally needs to be taken apart. And finally, I, you know, who couldn't be swayed by your enthusiasm and passion, Abraham, wow. you know, you, you, when you go into a startup, you're back in the founder as much as anything else. And, you know, um, I've got every faith that you're going to continue to grow timeline and, and do great things. So, um, so, so that's why I got involved with, with timeline. And yeah, I, I, I'm doing a few early stage investments and, you know, it's really interesting, Abraham, because um, I to I will admit that um, there has been one that I've done where if I'd been a client of mine when I was a financial planner, I would have been pulling my bloody hair out. <laughs> like, you know, I exhibited all of those characteristics of an irrational, greedy investor. Um, hey, but, you know, at least I can see that and reflect on it and... Um, you know, fortunately, the stake I've invested is 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 hopefully not going to blow me up. But um, so it's an interesting space. And, you know, Christ knows who can make any uh, sense of the um, the cash flows or whatever the and spreadsheets that get thrown at you. You know, I think ultimately you have to go with your gut. And, and I think some of the, the things that I've just explained, I saw in timeline. It's something I understood. I can see what you're doing. I can understand the niche. I can talk to you. I can see the passion. I've met some of the team. You know, I don't know whether the figures are going to work or not. Who knows? You know, so I, I, I think it's an exciting space. But um, uh, yeah, it's something, you know, I don't I don't profess to be a startup investor genius or anything. But I, I know some of the businesses that excite me at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to to, to have a dabble. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for your kind words. Uh, thank you for, for, for backing me and, and our team. You know, it, it does mean a lot to me. 
you've always been for me. I, I remember, I don't know, 10 years ago was still very, well, not very early, but early in my, in my career, working into the Institute of Financial Planning um, in London and ultimately meeting you. Uh, you. You've been an incredible inspiration to me and I'm sure to many others, especially in our industry where, um, you know, for whatever reason, we don't have nearly as many uh, leaders, women leaders, as, as, as we should. You've been, um, uh, you know, for, for me, a, a shining star in that world. So thank you very much for being so generous with your time and wisdom. Thank you for all you do. And frankly, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Ruth, uh, for thank coming you. on the podcast. Thank you, Abraham. It's 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 been lovely to chat, and I wish you all this ongoing success with Timeline. And uh, yeah, thank you again for having me as a guest. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Pytech Low Cost Flat Fee Model Portfolio Manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.